Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry Podcast with me, Philip Heidson, and Darren McAnthony, chairman and co-owner of English League One side, Peterborough United. And we took a break last week. It's been a uh, pretty crazy couple of weeks. So we've got lots to talk about today. You're back in Dubai, Dara. How's it going? Yeah, it was good. I apologize for you know missing an episode last week. It was a few unhappy podcast followers on Twitter. We left on Sunday night in the States. It took 24 hours on Saturday. It took 24 hours of traveling. You know, in the COVID world, it's all very different when you're traveling now. Mm -hmm. It's PCR tests, bring the results to the airport with you. You're going through New York because there's no direct flights anymore because certain airlines have closed down. Um, you're hanging around New York airport for like seven, eight hours. There's no cafes open. There's, there's no lounges open. It's, yeah. Then you get the flight that's absolutely full to Dubai. It's like 14 hours. And to be fair, Dubai is quick and easy. You can pay for the service to go straight to the gate from the airplane. And as long as you have your COVID test, you get through. Yeah, we, we got in like late Sunday night and then obviously Monday I was fucked as were all the kids. But yeah, it's been great. It's great to be away because the kids have been away for like 15 months. So yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't think I'd be as busy. Lots of stuff have come up with a posh. Do you know what I mean? I've probably spoke to my partners this week more than I've spoke to in a month, which is, you know, ironic. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? I'm on holiday and it's just like, you know, after this, I've got another Zoom call with them. There's stuff with season tickets. There's issues with, you know, uh, players, obviously the bailout. There's um, the tier one, tier two, figuring out how many fans can get in. So yeah, a, lot, a lot's been lots been going on, yeah. but uh, Dubai's yeah. pretty pretty normal. Apart wearing a mask, it's everything's pretty much open, and um, and that's nice to see. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, and I want to give a quick shout out to um, a 73 year old man who's had two heart attacks, who got COVID a few weeks ago, a very bad bout of COVID, didn't go to hospital, and um, has fought back, and he's back at full health, and that is uh, Sir Barry Fry. I knew COVID wouldn't get him mm -hmm. and uh, he's had it and he's defeated it and beaten it and uh, he's back watching games. But he was he was in a bad way for a couple of weeks. That's fantastic to hear that he's, uh, he's turned the corner, he's, uh, he's got rid of it. Yeah, yeah, he's all fine. He's been back watching games. He's, he's, he's larger than life. I mean, I spoke to him pretty much every few days. He was like a dead dog. You know, by his bed, he was—he just said he didn't have a wank in him. He had no energy. He was—he was, he was mm -hmm. typical bastard. Oh, it's like a bad bout of the flu. <laughs> you know, he was saying, <laughs> and he didn't have any breathing issues. My concern was because he'd had previous underlying conditions, a couple of heart mm -hmm. attacks, you know, hip surgeries, his health, and he's obviously not the slimmest. You worry because of the stuff you hear, and and again, there's a message for some people out there who think it's an immediate death sentence. Not always is. Um, he was fine. He, he stayed at home. He recovered. Doctor gave him the all clear, and uh, he's back fighting fit and ready for the January window. <laughs> That's fantastic to hear. So we've got a lot to cover. You talked about some of it there, but before we go there, I actually have a question. You know, you talked about the things you're doing when you're on holiday. How involved in the day to day do you usually get with a posh? I mean, I'm always available, so it's not like you know I, I can make four or five calls a day and speak to various people at the club, from the CEO, director of football, the manager, players, physio, sports scientists. I'm on emails all the time with people from the club. I've been dealing with my scouts while I've been over here talking about January and next summer. It's an ongoing thing. I'm not one of those people who shuts down when I go on holiday. I'm not one of those people that's uncontactable. I, I like to have the finger on the pulse. Um, it has been busier than normal. I, I won't lie to you, but I'm, I'm getting through it. There's a lot of stuff going on at the club. It's not the best time financially because of what's going on in the world. So there's all that concern. There's navigating things. Obviously, we got our arse kicked in the FA Cup. So yesterday was Sunday. One of my jobs is while everyone else loses their shit and panics and, you know, starts slagging each other off and getting unhappy and going on social media, which I might have done in the past. My job is to look at it and go in isolation. Right. I've, I've got to get the manager, the players, you know, my job, who motivates the motivator. Mm -hmm. So I've got to try and get the gaffer back up and running. So 
I took my girls out yesterday to a jewelry shop, one of those jewelry places here where you can get some nice stuff and, and not expensive stuff, but like little rings and stuff. And, um, you know, God bless my wife. I had to go outside for like half an hour because the manager was up. He had all the players in the training ground. So I'll chat with him. Well, I'm like a sounding board. So I'll let him rant and rave for 20 minutes. Then, you know, it's easy for me to rant and rave, but I didn't. I just said to him was, look, Gaff, I couldn't give a fuck anymore about that. You can get as angry as you want with the players and the performance and whatever. Bottom line is, my job is to make sure you're back at it so that by Saturday next week, we've won two league games and we're top of the league. And if we finish the week top of the league, what a fucking great week it's been. And who gives a fuck about the FA Cup? (laughs) Simple as that. So let's talk about that. So, you know, not a great result, to put it mildly. When things like that happen, you've got two ways you can go. You know, you can go, you can start throwing, um, you know, teacups around. Mm. or whatever or you can just say look that was a bit of a horror show nothing's to be gained by analyzing it to the minute level let's just get out of our system and move on there's a million low moments in football and there's a million high moments and as i said to the manager we played plymouth five days before and it was the best we played in months and we played them off the park and we should have won probably five or six nil and then you go on against some part-time players who rose to the like to the level and congratulations to Chorley. Great story, great TV. That's why the TV company was there. But there's no way on earth they should be living with us on a football field because, you know, the laws of finances and football, the way it works is it shouldn't happen. But I've said to the gaffer, bigger clubs than us have had nosebleeds in cups, all right, and been beaten. Your own Bradford went to Chelsea, a strong mm-hmm. Jose Mourinho Chelsea, and beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. I think Chelsea probably won the league that year. They did. Right. Yeah. And so, they were unbeaten at home. Right, right. So, so... There is anomalies sometimes in the cup and I can criticize our players and talk about why well, they didn't show up or they're big time Charlies and only the players know why they didn't try a leg on Saturday. Only the players know why they didn't rise to the occasion. I can't go on top of them and pile on. All I can say to the players is you did that. Now go fix that. Yeah. You can fix that on Wednesday and you can fix it on Saturday or you know what? You can go hide in and you can carry that on. That's on you. We've got very good footballers. My social media account was vile on Saturday night. If I showed you five or six of the tweets I got on Saturday night, if I could have, I'd get in an airplane and go hunt those people down. But now I kind of like, okay, I'm going to leave it. These are sad fucking pricks. Vile. I mean, vile. You would think our club was in non-league. So I just leave that alone. And, and, you know, we've got a really good football squad. We've got a really good football club. And sometimes you can forget that with a shit result or a couple of shit results. I'm trying to focus on, we've got a big game against Wimbledon. We've got a big game against Portsmouth. We want to be two points a game in the league. If we keep doing that, we're getting promoted. Yeah. If we go out and play like we did on Saturday, we've got no fucking chance. But I know our players are better than that, and I expect better from them, and I'll get better from them, and I'll get better from my manager. So that's where I am on that. Yeah. You know, it's easy to say as an outsider. Um, of course. Obviously a shock result, but you're second in League One. You've got, yeah. uh, you know, look at the players that you've got compared to some of the teams around you. You've got such a fantastic opportunity. I think that oftentimes you don't know how good you've got it. I, I mean, you know, we had, a, we had a kick in the bollocks with COVID. We, we got robbed last season. We've come back. We've lost two of the first three games. We've then turned that around by December to be second in the league, three points or two points from the top two points a game, one of the best home records in 2020 in the English Football League, and then the top five goal scorers in the Football League. Give me a fucking break. I understand everyone wants to pile on, but give me a fucking break. So I know what we've got in our dressing room, and I know what we've got at our club, and I expect a response from our players. So we've had, um, I'm going to come to, in fact, I'll go there now. You've got eight games in December. Oof. 
five of them in the next 15 days. <laughs> How do you protect your squad against, uh, you know, kind of whether it's nursing the squad through a set of games like that or either burnout's obviously a real thing and that's going to be a tough challenge over the next few weeks. Yes, it's tough. We've seen a lot of managers. Jurgen Klopp hasn't stopped fucking moaning about it. Um, and I think you've got to be careful. Because when you moan as a manager like that, you sometimes let your players suddenly, they can make excuses. Mm -hmm. So sometimes a manager can go too far. And I agree, with, I'm a Liverpool fan, but I agree with the broadcasters that your CEO signed the deals. They allow your football club pay you 100 grand a week to manage in the Premier League yeah. and go out and spend 50 million pounds on a defender in January, which Liverpool are going to have to do. So stop fucking moaning and get on with it. Everyone's in the same boat. I get there are complaints. Do it once, move on. Start doing it three, four times, getting in rows. It's not a good look. I don't like it. I wouldn't like it from my manager. Um, I look at where we are and I go, okay, the good news is we've got extra subs. Okay. You know, maybe that helps clubs like us. The smaller clubs, not so much if they haven't got big squads. Mm -hmm. um, we all knew when we wanted to come back and play what was going to happen when it started in September. It was going to be a shorter season. There was going to be a lot of three games a week situation. Our players have to get on with it. We feel we're fit enough to be stronger in the second half of the season. Some of our players have been injured already. We've missed them yeah. and they're coming back where we've lost Joe Ward. You know, we thought we'd lost Johnson Clark Harris the other night. We're just going to have to cope. It's going to have to be next man up. We can't use injuries as an excuse. Last year, we had a horrendous six weeks in December, in January, because we lost like 11 players. But that yeah. wasn't the headline from us. That wasn't the headline going, oh, look, we missed out on promotion because of all these. Every squad's got to deal with it differently. We've got a youth team. We've got some young players. Okay, we're going to have to throw them in. So fucking what? I personally wanted the manager to play all the kids in the FA Cup a couple of weeks ago. When we were on that great run and we went and beat Bristol Rovers, we then had an FA Cup game and a break. And the manager gave the players like four and five days off. And I think he looks at it and goes, it was the worst thing he ever did. Because mm -hmm. they were in such a fine run of form. And they came back out of that break. It was like the start of the season when we lost two or three. And we lost the following two league games. And I think that made him change his mind in the FA Cup about keeping the players playing. I think yeah. we've got the type of players where you need to play them. Now, he will have to rotate at times. He's going to have to be clever. We got the EFL Cup in a week, the last 32 against West Ham. As much as we want to go to Wembley and win, we're going to have to play a few of our kids. Mm -hmm. Wimbledon have just played five games in 12 days, and, and we're playing them on Wednesday. Plymouth went to Fleetwood and then traveled to us. You know, we, we all have issues. Bradford will have issues. So yeah. it's easy for us to moan and scream and whatever else. But for fuck's sake, do you know what? While people are locked up and not allowed to go out and do things, and we, as footballers or football managers, are on TV fucking moaning about playing football. You talk about the, what is it, Papa John's mm. trophy, I think it is now. So Flynn Clark got player of the round, mm. uh, which was fantastic. Tremendous. Great, great young kid, 17. Uh, Ricky J. Jones, a strike partner from the youth team. Them two are going to be, you know, be my dream in two years' time to see them leading our line. We wouldn't have to keep mm -hmm. going out and buying strikers. He's got an edge, that kid. He's got an edge. You know what I mean? And it's not always a good thing, but it's a good thing with him. Mm -hmm. He's got an edge. And um, I like players with an edge. The manager likes players with an edge. He will develop into, as will Ricky, probably if he keeps a level head and keeps working hard, they could play as, as high up as they want. And three goals in three games for a 17-year-old. I think Ricky did three and four last year as well when he was seven, 16 and 17. It's great for the academy. It's great for the future of the club. We really do have a batch of four or five kids as good as I've seen in 15 years. And um, mm -hmm. my partners wanted a really good academy. We're going for Cat 2. That's really exciting for me. Because sometimes even for me, it's exhausting having to keep going out and recruiting. Every time you sell a player, next man up, yeah. you recruit. It would yeah. be just great to get to a stage where, you know what, we lose a striker, up comes a youth team striker, and so on and so on. It would be a great pathway in the club. 
Now, as you get promoted through the league, so let's just say you're a championship club. Yep. Does that mean that a lot of those players that were in the academy, there may not be the opportunity then to progress when you're a championship club versus a League One club? Or are you looking when you're scouting uh, and when you're training in the academy to 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 make those players into you know high ceiling Premier League Championship players, regardless of what league you're actually in at any given time? Yeah, we're looking when you give a pro contract to a 17 year old or whatever, you're 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 giving it with in mind that they can play higher than the level you're at. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if, if, if they couldn't, you wouldn't give them the pro contract because we're always looking to be higher. So you're absolutely right. They would probably get more chance in League One than the champ. But the players I'm talking about will be ready by the time we're in the champ to really be part of the squad. Yeah. And like one of them, Ronnie Edwards, this kid at centre half, he's like a Ben White. He's like a Ryan Bennett. If he played 10 games in the championship, I guarantee you Leeds, Liverpool, everyone would be throwing millions at us for a player mm-hmm. like him because of the stature of centre half. He's 17. But he could, he could play tomorrow on our team. I wouldn't lose sleep. Yeah. It, it, when you can say I wouldn't lose sleep over Flynn Clark, Ricky J. Jones, Harrison Burroughs, uh, Ronnie Edwards playing in our first team on Saturday against Portsmouth, I wouldn't yeah. lose sleep. That tells yeah. me the academy is doing the right thing. And we've got two guys in Matthew Edmonton, Simon Davis, Kieran Scarf runs the academy who who are implementing Jason, my partner's big vision for what he wants to do with the academy. Um, they're doing a good job, but it's it's baby steps. Too much mm-hmm. pressure, too soon. You got to be careful. But, you know, a lot of it's attitude. Those players have to have the right attitude as well. Yeah. Um, so let's go around the rest of the leagues. Um, Premier League, we got Spurs now joint top along with Liverpool. So, you know, you projected that for the last couple of months and uh, they finally made it. Jose, yeah. I um, Something told me that um, when you poke the bear, you know, and, and Jose Mourinho has been poked, you know, what happened at United. A lot of the media don't want to see him do well. I just had a funny feeling. I think it's going to come down to four teams this season. And it's going to be Man City, Liverpool, mm-hmm. Spurs, Chelsea. I was wrong about yeah. Lampard. He seems to have got it right. Maybe the goalkeeper mm-hmm. and, and Thiago and whatever else. Because I thought Lampard was a bit of a, a bit of a choker as a manager, you know, defensively and the nearly man. Um, but, you know, credit where credit's due. And I'll always apologise if I make a mistake. He seems to have got Chelsea right. Maybe less yeah. tinkering. And, 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 and they've got a hell of a squad. I mean, they've got some players at Chelsea. So, yeah, I think there's going to be those three, four teams vying for it. It depends who keeps players fit. Liverpool's big problem at the moment this they can't keep players fit and Jurgen Klopp can keep moaning about TVs but Joel Matip is made of glass and has always mm-hmm. seems to be injured I love Jordan Henderson but you never get a full season out of him um, Oxley chamberlain you never get a full season out of him Shakiri, you never get a full season out of him um, our new signing from Bayern Munich uh, in midfield again yeah. he, he seems to have a previous history of not playing 40 50 games a season um, None of those players I've mentioned and breaking down are anything to do with COVID or anything right. to do with playing three games a week. They all have historical issues with keeping fit through a season. So I would say with a lot of the injuries and a lot of these players, either why you're recruiting players are made of glass, because you can see that in the record, or can your medical department not keep them fit? Yeah. And that has to be a consideration too. Yeah. Because I've had it at my club where you look at your medical department and go, you can't keep a squad fit. And that's nothing to do with the amount of games because lots of them haven't played enough minutes. And the other thing is, is in, in Jurgen Klopp's defence, some players are just made of glass. Adam Lallana is a classic example. He's like mm-hmm. the modern day Darren Anderton. He was always breaking down for Liverpool. He moves to Brighton. They paid a lot of money and given him a three-year deal. He comes on as a sub on Saturday and he's off after 15 minutes with an injury again. He's one of them players who seems to be made of glass. Another one would be Jack Wilshire. Jack mm-hmm. Wilshire would, would get injured opening his front door. I mean, you, you saw his record. Mm-hmm. God bless them. I don't know what it is. Some players just have that issue. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and it's and, you know, and, and then people are surprised. So we have it. I'm sure you have it. You know, players that you think you know that would be a good player if he could stay fit. But the reason he's playing in League Two or League One is because he can never stay fit. And I you still sorry. go and sign him again. No. And you and then you're yeah. surprised when all of a sudden you know they come on and 15 minutes into the game back they're back out again for another month. One of my statistical things in my recruitment thing is is that a player has to average 35 games a year over three years, otherwise mm-hmm. I won't sign them. And if they fall below 35 as an average over three years. Nine times out of ten, I won't. I won't approve the recruitment. I've done it a couple of times because they were free. But I would never yeah. pay money for someone with that kind of record. Um, so it's unfortunate. You feel for the players, but something about them is they're made of glass, and you know that's just the way it is. Now you mentioned about the medical team and sports science. You know, having a role in keeping players fit. What role do they really play? You know, is it? Uh, I'd love to hear like how how they make the difference between. Uh, perhaps keeping a squad fit and, and you know not doing, frankly? It's a great question. So, sometimes I'll joke with the manager and go, have you got permission off the um, sports scientists to allow us to train four days a week this week? Mm-hmm. Because sports scientists have more influence than managers nowadays. They will set out the pre-season days, routines, the training, the drills, how many sessions you can do a day, what level the players can play minutes-wise. Like I've been upset like a pre-season where I'm like, oh, Reese Brown's just come back and loan. Why isn't he playing tomorrow? And the sports scientists look at me and go, no way, Jeremy, he's not ready. He needs to build his minutes up. So mm. sports scientists do have a lot of power. Sometimes I think it can be detrimental, but that's the new world. That's the profession. Yeah. They will say to the manager, the workload, the minutes, the days per week training. I'll moan like fuck when our players have two days off a week because I don't think footballers should have two days off a week. <laughs> I, I, I don't. They come in and train for like two hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they've got like two days off. And, and it's like, no, no, no. We've got to manage their load. We've got to manage their minutes. We've got to manage it up. I don't want to hear things like manage their fucking load. I mean, that sounds a little bit perverted. But the point is, is like that is the modern world. Sports scientists yep. have, a, a, have a big – and we've got a great one. And we've got a great physio. He used to be our assistant physio. We promoted him to the main physio. Uh, our sports scientist, the same. We've got two great guys in that department. They've done a brilliant, brilliant job. When we've had players injured, they've got them back early. You know, they've got them back in good condition. It's probably one of the best departments we've had in about a decade at the club. So it's, 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 it's touch wood. It's been in really good shape. Now, do you see many League One, League Two teams in, going all in to invest in sports science? Or is it is it one, often one of those things that's kind of left for no. if we've got enough money at the end of the day? When I first came on the scene, we had, we had a physio called Oxy, and I used to joke, his magic sponge. Oxy had run onto the field with that magic sponge, you know what I mean? And every player would be fine. And, and there was no such thing as scans and x-rays and fucking, you know, chiropractor and you know, insoles and shoes and all. I mean, nowadays, our player, like Johnson Clark Harris cracked his ankle on Tuesday night, Plymouth. There was a crack. We all thought, serious problem here. By nine in the morning, he'd already had a scan. We'd had the diagnosis. He'd seen a specialist. Mm -hmm. We were told, basically, no ligament damage, a little bit of bruising. He could be back for Saturday. He will be available for Wednesday. And it was all within the space of, like, 12 hours. So, whereas a few years ago, that might have taken six days to find out all that information. So, We've got private insurance. We've got a great, you know, medical department. We've invested really well in that side of the club. I think a lot of managers now, and I've been through a few managers, they all tend to want to bring a good sports science department with them. Um, And if Darren moved to a bigger club and got recruited, I'd probably try and keep our sports science department Mm -hmm. because of the continuity. You know what I mean? But they will probably get recruited by bigger clubs, and that happens too. You know, we're a League One club. If Chelsea come along and recruit one, they're going to pay them five times more wages. That's just the evolution of life. Yeah, we uh, when I think back to the best uh, sports science kind of setup that we had, which was under Phil Parkinson, you know, when he left, the whole team went with him. They're all unemployed now, aren't they? Yeah, so that was kind of the next point was um, Parky got sacked at Sunderland, which 
you know, I know Sunderland fans have got high expectations, but I was still, and I know, you know, you look on social and it seems like um, he was never really respected or it, it, it's, it's, been a, it's been on a bit of a hiding to nothing. That could be a couple of things. Because you look at it and go, if they win their game in hand, they go third. Um, so I guess if Sunderland are in that period of talking to someone about buying the club, and I believe they mm. are from what I've read in the paper, sometimes when you're buying a club, you could do as part of the deal the manager has to be fired before I arrive. Yeah, and and you've got to pay it off. Right, it saves well. you looking like the hatchet person. More importantly than paying mm -hmm. it off. Okay. If, I'm, if I'm buying the club and I don't like the manager, I think he's like, I'll say to the owner, look, do me a favor. He has to go. So you need to get rid of him before I take over. Otherwise, I'm not taking over. So that could be one reason. Another yeah. reason could be pressure from the fans. I don't know, but there's no fans at the stadium. So you, are you following social media? Another reason could be their shit to watch. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't watch Sunderland games. We played them. They were good. Um, we were better, but they won the game. Look, I, I'm not going to judge anyone because I told you we did it before. We sacked the manager when we were sixth. So I, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I know Phil Parkinson has a certain DNA. He's a certain way of playing. It's not my mm -hmm. cup of tea, but it works for a lot of teams. Yeah. Pragmatic, I think, mm. is the uh, the nicest way of putting it. <laughs> Polite. Um, but, you know, we take him back in a heartbeat um because of the success <laughs> that he had with us you know we'll take pragmatic one nils at the moment of course of course, of course. <laughs> uh, um now fans have finally cut we got the green light to bring fans back into grounds Yippee. um but 2000 i think you're in tier two so 2000 so it's gonna end up costing the club money i'm sure to do so where do you stand is it are you excited to get them back in is it some frustration that it's not a bigger scale couple of reasons I'm excited to get the ball moving because everything's progress, isn't it? It's like the government are throwing us crumbs. Yippee. Thanks very much. You know, and don't even get me started on their whole handling of fucking COVID. Bunch of morons around the world the way they do it. But it's some fans coming back. That's great news. So I'm happy for the fans because the fans deserve football. Peterborough, I think, was tier one and under this ridiculous new ruling, most of the country's tier two. My wife said to me the other day, I think it was Cornwall and the Isle of Scilly and the Isle of Wight were the only areas to hold in the UK in tier yeah, one. Yeah, I think maybe Brighton. Oh, so Brighton yeah. The Premier League, I saw Brighton and Brighton were right. a tier one and maybe even Liverpool, which surprised me somewhat. Right, but... okay. So so the whole of, they knew what they were doing. Now yeah. they're just fucking with us. Now they're just throwing us crumbs to try and give us some comfort. It's not going to work. It's going to backfire. People are going to take to the streets and I hope they do. You know what I mean? Because I'm glad to see people are rising about it because of what's happening and people's freedoms taken away. So they can't continue to do this. You've seen it today. Arcadia have gone into administration, 13,000 jobs. Loads more companies in January and February are going to go under. Cinemas, retail, um, restaurants, bars. So what they're doing is disgraceful. Um, and what they're doing to us basically is, is, yeah, well, you know what? We're going to give you a little bit of hope. We're going to open up. We think tier one, 4,000. We're going to get all our season ticket holders back in. Great. We don't have to do as many refunds. You know, blah, 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 shit. We're going to have to pay security. We're going to have to pay money that we're not paying at the moment. Mm -hmm. And then they come out with a tier system. It's like, fuck, it's 2,000 fans. So now we're going to have to go, well, you get in this week and you get in next week. And oh, by the way, if Peterborough is a good little city, you might drop the tier three and then we'll just smack you on the bum and punish you again and mm -hmm. tuck you all back in bed and you can't have any fans. So you yeah. need to be a good little city and do your job and wash your hands and make sure you, you know, get rid of this virus, which isn't really going anywhere. And yeah, I'm just like fed up with the way they're doing it. So I've said it all along. The government owes us money. They owe every business that they've stopped allowing to do trade money. They've made this decision. They've taken away our liberties and our freedoms to, to act as enterprises, as businesses. Throwing 2,000 crumbs on the table is not enough. We need four, five, 6,000. And then mm -hmm. we need also a bailout. And we need our AFL bailout. So that's where I stand on that. It's not good enough. Yeah. I'm happy for the fans that are going to get in. 
Um, I read he was going to keep the tier system till April. I don't think he can. I think his own party will overthrow him. The Labour Party mm-hmm. will get voted in next time the way the Tories have handled this. So I don't think 70 Tories are going to vote for the extension till April. So I think he's going to have to change course or get permission of his missus to change course. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to open the country up and um, stop with all the tier system nonsense. So I'm fed up with it. I'm fed up with people like him. I know that idiot Biden will do the same in the States. Come January, he'll want to do a nationwide shutdown in America. Thankfully, we have the federal system or whatever it's called, federalism, where the, the, the governors run the states. So mm. we'll be all right in Florida. We'll still be open, my friend. I, I tell some people that outside of Florida, if they come to Florida, it's like, what pandemic? Now, that's Correct. not necessarily reflected in the numbers. We're, we're wearing but, our masks. We're wearing yes. our masks, though. You might want to stay Florida, but everywhere I go in Florida, I don't see anyone without masks in Orlando. I mean, I know people I want to Mostly. dig on us. Well, where, where yeah. do you not see masks? I'd say sometimes, you know, when you're going walking out and about in like the high street. Uh, outside? Um, yeah, and I guess it's outside. So when you're inside, I don't really, I see everyone wearing the masks inside, yeah. I, I, I don't see why you have to wear masks on the street when you're like distance between people. So long as you're distant. Phil, for eight months we've worn a mask. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm like, how long more do you want me to wear a mask? Another 20 months, 30 months? How, how long until we should stop wearing masks? Do you think the virus will be gone forever? That's the sixty-four thousand dollars question. I can see us. I can see us wearing masks until late summer. Yeah, I reckon. Next uh, year. I, I mean, everywhere I go in Florida, if I go to a restaurant, I'm wearing a mask. If I go to a cinema, I'm wearing a mask. If I go yeah. to the mall, I'm wearing a mask. Uh, if I sit with my dad, I'm always wearing a mask from distance. Uh, if we sit outside, we have distance. I don't see if you're in the street that you should have to wear a mask. You have to be respectful of like space between people. So Florida gets a raw deal usually from liberals. Um, but I, I don't see a lot of um, bad behavior in Florida as regards yeah. to COVID. And, and yeah, of course, we're going to have cases and we're going to have deaths because that's just the, the, the law of this virus. Um, but again, I'd love people to do their research and, and look at the average age of people, God bless them, who are passing away from it. While everyone else, you know, in that uh, threshold who, who will be all right from it are basically sat at home and not allowed out. It's just that this has gone on too long, buddy. I don't know how much longer. I mean, what is it? Oh, we'll open for Christmas, have two weeks of Christmas, then we'll put you back down under in January. I mean, yeah, haven't we got vaccines now? What are we doing? Uh, I think the first, the uh, Moderna applied to the FDA today for the usage of theirs. So uh, next week or two, I think they're coming. I saw something today that had a, I think it was Goldman Sachs put together a chart of how much of the population they expect to be vaccinated by a certain point. And they were looking about 50% by, uh, I think, May, June period of time um, moderna and pfizer put it in uh, six days ago to the fda mm-hmm. so they were meeting again today to talk about the rollout okay. i believe the rollout on the 11th of december you can see i know my data the rollout on the 11th of december will be 20 to 40 million doses that will go to frontline workers and will go to people in nursing homes so forget about the rest of the population take care of the nursing homes and the people over 60 and watch all the mortality drop and then everyone will stop talking about it and yes mm-hmm. we should all take the vaccine. i will go take the vaccine tomorrow so you know it needs it needs to be here all these countries now, that should be the talk. The plan should be stop talking about infections. It should be how are we getting the vaccine to people and quickly. Yeah, I would take it tomorrow as well. You know, all this being afraid of taking it, you know. The... Can I tell you what they did in Dubai? Can I tell you what they did in Dubai? And sure. you don't even notice. The the king out here, I want to say here or in Dubai or whatever else, took the vaccine at the start of November. He put it on video and he took it. Guess where he got it from, Philip? Come on, take a guess. Take a guess where he got the vaccine from um what which company which country which country states china china interesting he took the vaccine no one talks about in the internet that's been out probably Mm -hmm. for a long time our friends in china he took the vaccine from china guess what else he did then he gave all the frontline workers 
in hospitals and around Dubai, they've all been vaccinated already. Mm-hmm. So what the fuck are superpowers like? Well, we know why America didn't have it any earlier because of the election, because otherwise everyone would have been vaccinated in the front line. Uh, England, I don't know what they're doing with the Oxford one. I see there's more shit on that and taking time and whatever else. So I don't know what the fuck they're waiting for. But this guy in Dubai has shown his people he took it. He's all the frontline workers done. Mm-hmm. And now he's rolling it out to the rest. So how can we, as superpowers, not have this sorted out? It's mad. So you talked in there and we feel like a broken record asking this and you probably feel like a broken record answering it. Sure. Uh, but we're now another couple, a couple of further weeks past where's the bill out yeah i'm fed up now because now i'm going to go to my players i'm gonna to have to go to my staff and we're gonna to have to ask them to take a haircut um you know and if alan swan's listening to this you know don't play out that headline until after the next two league games so i don't be blamed for it <laughs> but no I, I i mean the reality is i mean i you know i joke and whatever else but yeah. the reality is everyone's gonna to have to go to their staff gonna to have to go to you know employees ask for help either that or you're gonna to have to let them go and we don't want to let go of employees so Everyone needs to get help now. Uh, the bailout, we were told any day, any day, any day, any day. It's still not happening. There's still no date. By the time the podcast is out, maybe some miracle will wake up tomorrow and it's, it's, it's out. It's done. It's still not enough. It's still not going to help or scratch the surface. Mm-hmm. The government needs to do more. The problem with having 2,000 fans in is you're appeasing half your season tickets. You still have to deal with the other half. You still have to do refunds, which we're now undergoing. You still have to give options to your fans. We now have to bring security back in. We now have to pay for a lot more match day expenses. There's no income on match day at all. I believe mm-hmm. they're stopping drink as well and food. So there's all sorts of issues around that. And I couldn't say some clubs are going to not do it probably, but I couldn't do that to my fans. They've been starved right. of football since February. Mind you, after Saturday, I'm not sure they'd want to go and watch. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is they've been starved for so long of football. You know, the right thing to do, me and my partners want to do is give them football. So I think our first game of fans is going to be the Papa John trophy game on Tuesday mm-hmm. week. And that's my first game back when I'm back in the UK from Dubai. Um, because there's an air bridge from here, um, which is great. There's no quarantine. Awesome. So I, I'll, I'll go to the game and there will be fans at the game. That'd be great. And also be the highest listen. attended EFL trophy game yeah. of the year. <laughs> I actually laughed the other day and said, if, if you're allowed 4,000 in, it will be our first 4,000 crowd in an early round, like Papa John right. Trophy or EFL Trophy game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So just to see some friendly faces, to see some people smiling, um, to see the players interact when they celebrate a goal or whatever else. So, yeah, I mean, look, like I said, progress is progress. And we'll take the crumb and we'll try and build the crumb into a meal. Uh, what we have to do is keep putting pressure back on the authorities yeah. all the time over the freedoms they're taking away from us. Because yeah, my worry of this is that the government takes a perspective well, now that we're getting fans back in the grounds, um, the problem's not, it's not a big problem anymore. They've got the fans back. They're going to start to get the money back. They got through the, the dark times. You know, we don't really need to do so much. To load of bollocks. Them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, while they're bailing out every other industry, no, that's a load of bollocks. They keep like fogging us off and saying, well, the Premier League has spent a billion pounds. And, you know, well, fuck you. We're not the Premier League. Stop yeah. pigeonholing us and saying the Premier League, the Premier League, the Premier League. And yes, we'll do a deal with the Premier League, but that's none of the government's business. The government need to do more. You know, the Premier League aren't the ones stopping us selling match tickets to fans. Mm -hmm. The Premier League aren't the ones stopping us opening our club shop at the moment for our only income. Yeah, that's the government. The UK government, Boris Johnson and his friends are stopping us doing that. Yeah, the Tory party. That's not the Premier League. So you can keep blaming the Premier League. No, it's on you. Yeah, get your checkbook out. You're bailing everyone else out. Give us our loan. All right, well, on that note, we're going to go into a break. We've got a bunch of questions to come back to. So we will be back with everybody in a few moments.
Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Hard Truth Podcast. We got a, um, a bunch of listener questions. I have one of my own as well that I'm going to uh, pitch to Dara as well before the uh, question session is out. But the first time we're going to, the first question, we're actually going to go, and I can't actually remember who this has come from, but I remember seeing it on social media. And I thought it was just an interesting question. Um, and the question that we came, that came in was, um, do you have any favorite teams outside of the UK? So, you know, favorite Spanish team, favorite Italian team, anyone that you follow from uh, afar? I've been a Real Madrid fan uh, since mm-hmm. I lived in Spain. Um, Italy, always AC Milan. Um, Holland, always being Ajax. Mm-hmm. Um, other countries. Uh, Denmark is my island. Is it the Brentford owner owns it? So always keeping an yeah. eye on their results. Um, in America, uh, it would be uh, actually tell a lie. MLS. I was put off by that as what happened with buying Orlando. Yeah. Um, what other countries would there be? Portugal would have been Porto. Anyone else in there? France would have been Marseille. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, obviously Glory Hunter, yeah. some of the big big clubs. You know, and, and obviously some of them have fallen from grace. Um, yeah. So yeah, and, and in Ireland would have been Shamrock Rovers. Right. Whee! Interesting. Yeah, I was always at Roma in Italy. There you go. I think because because of the colours and because of Francesco Totti. So when I was ever, whenever I was playing my Championship Manager uh, Serie A game, it would be straight to Roma. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I think Real <laughs> as well for Spain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, question from Rich. So it was alleged that Sean Dyche had a clause in his contract whereby he gets five percent of any transfer fees sure. from sales for Burnley's young players, and he came out and denied that story. So I want to make that clear. Sure. The question really is kind of that was the context for it. Is that kind of clause normal in a manager's contract where they get a percentage of sales of players? Lots of managers have asked me for that, and I've always said no. I won't mm-hmm. give a manager a percentage of player sales. It's not what we do. I pay a director of football already percentage of player sales, um, not a massive amount, and and that's quite normal. Technical director, football director will get a percentage of sales. We have to do it on profit. You know, because you can't just be on one player. It has to be on losses and, and you know, profit and loss. Um, I wouldn't want a manager earning income on players he sold. Do you see that just a conflict or it's not even his money to... Uh, I, I don't like um, it. I don't like it. He's got enough to do. He doesn't need that as an incentive. I get it. Yeah. He brings in, he improves the player. Um, you want to reward him for that. Well, you know what? Write him a check as a bonus. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you it's just muddy waters. I don't like it. So a question from Jamie, how often do you get tire kickers coming in claiming that they want to buy the club? Are you always entertaining folks who say they want to buy a League One football team? I don't entertain any of them. You know, it's like um, LinkedIn's full of them. You get idiots on there all the time. Mm-hmm. You get emails for the club. I had a Brazilian consortium years ago. To be fair, when I decided I was going to do business on the club, I used a broker and I had two very serious parties. One was a cryptocurrency company that agreed a deal mm-hmm. and then couldn't come up with the funds. They had funding issues at the last moment. And then obviously I met my Canadian partners and that was a very, very quick process. But I'll be honest, the broker made the intro and me being the closer and the deal maker I am, I took over the whole deal. I mean, you know, with all due respect to the guys who made the intro, they didn't deserve the commission. With the, and, and I know one of them in America would be listening to this laughing um, <laughs> down in Tampa, but all they did was make an intro. I then spent the next seven months courting the deal to the finish line. And yeah. you know what I mean? So, but I, I have a lot of thanks and, and respect to the people who made the intro because that was their job. Uh, and, and truth be known, I wanted to take over the process because you get the third party involved and it becomes complicated. Yeah. And I, 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 when there's a deal to be done, I like to get my teeth into it myself and just a bit like a football deal. You get yeah. on with it and make it happen, you know? Yeah. And that's, your, you know, you, you're a deal maker. That's your area of expertise. And I'm sure interest 100%. as well. Listen, um, I've always said it and I'll keep, you know, blowing my own trumpet. 
I am the best deal maker outside the Premier League when it comes to football deals. And the last 10, 11 years, statistically, from a League One football club proves that. So I got a question from Shane. Shane's a Rochdale fan. Um, cool. And Shane says, you always get a good deal, or it seems to from the outside when it comes to selling players, which I don't think my club, Rochdale, does. And he cites Luke Matheson, uh, rumored to have been sold for a million plus add-ons when he went over to Wolves. Would you have accepted that for a player like Luke? Yeah, I, I've seen him. He was a good player. Um, I'm not sure he was worth more at the time. And the mm-hmm. position he played in and everything else. And the, the, you know, I know he scored against Man United in the Cup and he was a 16-year-old scoring. We've had, you know, multiple teenagers the last two years do that. Um, I can't speak for Rochdale or the value they get for players. You know, we sold a young player, Leonardo the Silva Lopez. I thought he'd be worth millions at one point. He didn't get to that level. In the end, we sold him. Uh, we got like north of a million plus a sell-on. Mm-hmm. Um, he then got dumped out of Wigan too quickly because I think Hull sold him for a lot more money. So the sell-on would have made would have meant we would have made two million. Do you know what I mean? If that hadn't happened, you can never regret any deals. You have to do deals to the best of your ability. Everyone knows. I said Ivan Tony would play in the Premier League yeah. in the summer, and Premier League clubs should have broken their balls to sign him. And now look at him in the Championship. He's mm-hmm. probably already a twenty-five million pound striker. That's the killer about not being in the championship. If I'm in the champ, the deals I could make would be so much bigger. Yeah. Uh, there wouldn't be six, sevens, eights, nines, tens. They would be 18, 19, 20, 21 million. Mm-hmm. And that's why I want to get back there because the deals I can make in there would, would change the life of Peterborough for decades. So, yeah. Look, don't be resentful of the deals Rochdale do. It's a terrifically run football club. They do their best. They produce some good young players. They're in League One, the same league as us. Their wage bill is probably one of the lowest. You know, mm-hmm. credit to them, credit to their fan base and to their ownership. Yeah, and for players like that, I'm sure that a large part of the value is it's internal rather than external. So it's not necessarily yes. and what I mean by that is not uh, what is that player worth to another football club. It's what is that money worth to you that you can sell him for. Of course, um, and, and it becomes you... good. Like you mm-hmm. had Ollie McBurney at Bradford. Yeah, it becomes good. You can make another two, two and a half million. And that two and a half million McBurney brought in for Bradford was probably like... Uh, it saved us. It was, <laughs> it was a godsend. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a lifeline. So, you know, um, there's those stories, you know. It's like uh, Deli Alley a few years ago was going to be a 100 million pound sale. NK Dons would have made 15, 20 million in the salon. You, you know, that's where a lower league club, if you can protect yourself in the back end with a juicy salon, and we've got a good one on Ivan Tony, you can make millions more, you know, down, down the line. Exeter, another great run club. You know, they probably made four million this year from uh, Watkins getting sold. Mm-hmm. And again, what that does for their academy, their wage bill, you know, what they're trying to do as a club, crew did it for years. So there's, there's a lot of good stories of really well-run football clubs that aren't told enough. There are some out there. Yeah. Sometimes we get tired with that brush that has so much debt, there's so many badly run football clubs. But actually, there's a lot of really well-run football clubs as well. So I'm going to put you on the spot here with uh, a follow-up question that I've got. Yeah. Who is the next youngster that's going to go to the Premier League from League One or League Two that's going to command the million-plus fee? I can't tell you because I'd want to buy them. Mm-hmm. And I'd want to buy them before Brentford or anyone else come in and snap them up. But for my football club, I would say so the next two players from our team that will play in the Premier League, they could play there tomorrow and some of the fans might laugh, some people might laugh, Dembele could definitely play in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a Zaha. In fact, like I said before, he's like a Crystal Palace player. Yeah. Um, but a lot of clubs would be snobbery. They would never look at like an Ivan Tony. You know what I mean? Dembele all day long. And funny enough, there's a Premier League club right now who are desperate for him. And, you know, we said, look, talk to us in January this summer. Mm-hmm. The reason we've said that is because if bailouts don't happen, we look at January. It's not that we need to sell. 
because sometimes you do right for the club. If not, we'll do it in the summer. You know, we yeah. only get promoted, you know. So he's the next one. And the next one after him would be Jack Taylor. Mm-hmm. Jack Taylor in central midfielder. We spent nearly a million on from non-league. He's ex-Chelsea. He's 22. He'll play in the Premier League. He was called up yeah. to the Irish squad last week. He will definitely play in the Premier League. So we've got two right there. And then under that, we've got a batch of teenagers that all goes well in their career. They will play at the top. So mm-hmm. there are a few in League 1 and League 2. There's two players in League 2 that I think will play in the Premier League. One's 19 and one's 18. And God willing, all goes to plan. I'd like to buy those two players. Mm-hmm. Um, probably next summer. We won't be able to afford to do it in January. But I, they're, on, they're on my gem list to buy and develop. And they will play at the top. So what's your pitch then if a an Arsenal or a you know West Ham or a Man City or whatever are sniffing after one of those players or a Palace or whoever it is? Sure. And, and Peterborough, how are you going to convince them that Peterborough is the club for them? It's easy to convince the, the selling club because I would say to the selling club, if you sell a player directly to a Man City, you're never going to make any more money. You get mm-hmm. your million, you get your million and a half for, for that player in League Two. Yeah. But forget the 20% sell-off. If you sell them to Peterborough, for a million over 20 years um and we then sell him for 10 million you're now going to make three million so mm-hmm. why do you want to sell him direct to the premier league yeah. you want him to make that step in the train station beforehand that's where yeah. you're going to get weighed in different if say a burnley bought the player burnley might then sell a player onto a man city so you you've got to be careful as a league two club convince the player is actually not that bad either as long as the player is not a greedy little prick because what you would say to the player is if crystal palace per se go and buy or man city go and buy a player from league two the first thing you're going to do is they're going to become an under-21 player and they're going to play under-21 football. And the last thing a player wants to do who's been playing 50 games in League 2 is to go and spend two years playing under-21 football, get thrown out on loan again to League 2 or League 1 and be like a fucking nomad. So what I would say to that player is, look, forget the money. Forget the highlights of the Premier League right now. Come to us for two years. Do the business for two years with us in League 1, the champ, and then go to a club straight from us and play. Like, you will play. Do you know what I mean? So you, you only have to look at Newcastle. Newcastle had Adam Armstrong and they had Ivan Tony as young strikers. And they probably, they sold them for a combined two million pounds. And both of those players that are leading goal scorers in the championship, who are probably worth a combined 50 million now. And yeah, Newcastle, you know, probably bought them too young, got them out on loan, and then eventually got bored with them because they couldn't make use of them and sold them. Yeah. They thought there's no path for them to the first team. Or... Correct, correct. So, it's one of them things, you know. Um, so I, I always fancy our chances if we're going in for a player. You know, where we have a problem is if we go up for a player and a champ club wants them, that becomes a problem because the champ club can say, well, we'll give you football. The Premier League can't always go, we're going to give you football. And you've got a track record now. And I imagine Correct. that, you know, as you're the players that you that you have in mind that you want to bring to the club like that, the mental state is a big part of that. So, you know, they're going to have, having that mindset is all part of the equation for you. Nine times out of ten, when we make the call, the agent and the player are delighted it's Peterborough because of what we've done with our previous players. I'm not going to lie to you. Most of them are like, oh, what a brilliant move for the player. That one time out of ten, you get an agent who's just a fucking asshole and, like, mess up the deal. We mm-hmm. did a deal in the summer to sign a, a player from Exeter, and the deal was done. And the agent, basically, a new agent came on the scene, and I knew the agent. I couldn't stand the guy. And he basically killed the deal. We'd agreed the fee, we agreed the wages with the player, the lad was a great lad, he was coming in, then the agent came on the scene and then all of a sudden the attitude changed. And we didn't, I pulled, pull, I pulled the plug because then the agent wanted him to go and speak to three other clubs, he wanted him to see if the two championship clubs were going to come in and I'm like, no, 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 no. We know what we can do for the player, we've agreed a deal, 
we're not some looking show where you can then come see us and then go flirt and have dates with everyone else. We ain't waiting two weeks till the window closes till you don't get another option and then come back to us. So we pull the plug. And look, the player now, he's still in League Two. He might go higher. Um, it's happened before. An agent involved, the player allows it to happen. I call the player and the agent fucking stupid. Um, that's just football for you. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that, you know, if you end up being in a position where you're having conversations about Dembele, um, then you can, you'd have to point very far to Ivan Tony um, to talk to some of those clubs around what the true value of that player is. Yeah, I, I made a joke um, when Brentford bought Ivan. I put in a thing that wasn't about Dembele. I put in a thing to message when I'd say congratulations to Rasmus and we did the deal together. I said, and by the way, when you come back for player X and I put in a certain player, you'd be paying a lot more money than you paid for Ivan for him. And I said, you will be back. Trust me. You know, so I know Rasmus and Matthew from Brentford will be going, McAntony was right about Ivan Tony, you know, and we, we probably underpaid for him. So they probably feel I got the best deal there. But at the time they felt we were, they were breaking their record. They were thinking, fuck me, are we overpaid? Yeah, it's a risk. They only saw the downside. Well, they, the, there was there a was lot no of downside. Risk, for them, but, they, but they saw there was risk. For me, there was no risk. That was, that was, the, biggest, that was the biggest non-risk transfer in the recent history. For a Premier League club, can I tell you a story? Uh, and true story this is. Mm-hmm. David Pleat from Spurs wanted Daniel Levy to sign Ivan Tony. Right. David Pleat's a friend of mine in Barry Fry's. He honestly wanted Daniel Levy to sign Ivan Tony because obviously they were looking at Harry Kane at injuries. They were looking at the lack of strikers. So they wanted basically like backup. And they probably saw David Pleat saw Ivan Tony as a no brainer. He thought the, the, the course was low, his wages would be low. He would be an easy addition to the Tottenham squad. He thought he was a good age. And if it didn't come off of Tottenham, they would probably sell him for double the money to a championship team. Mm-hmm. So, and if it hadn't been for the pandemic, he probably would have convinced Daniel Levy to buy him. Uh, and that's a true story. And David Pleat might deny that, but I've spoken with Baz and I've been on the phone where Davis left messages on the phone with Baz about, is he gone yet? Is he still available? I'm, I'm still getting Daniel to have all the chief scouts pull up his footage. That is a true story. I'm sure that in, uh, well, we'll see, you know, Spurs may be on their way to win the league, but um, right. you know, there was still some, um, uh, the one that, that got away. Absolutely. Listen, at the end of the day, Spurs don't care about Ivan Tony. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they've, they've got bail. They've got whatever else. They, that's always the problem. You've got a massive club like that. For them to go and sign a League One player, their fan base probably would have laughed. And when mm-hmm. you own a club like that, you've got to be careful. So, yeah. you, you know, but it just shows you David Pleat was the one who got Deli Alley there. And he's, mm-hmm. he's very much a fan of the Football League. He wanted Ricky J. Jones to go to Spurs, you know, our young starlet. So, you know, you, you get, um, you know, play, a person like David Pleat has so much respect in the game. Daniel Levy listens to him because he's yeah. been around and he goes out and he watches all the young players and he knows all the best. He knows all our best young players. He's been yeah. to our youth games. He's been, and I have so much respect for people like Barry Fry and David Plate in the seventies and eighties who are still out there doing the job. These young managers and young uh, technical directors don't do. They don't go and watch games like these guys do. Yeah. They were brought up differently, I guess. And maybe it's the look Very of the different, game. Different work ethic. So the last question I have from listeners uh, this week is from Josh and Josh says he's, a young aspiring coach just turned 18 and coaches of the local team in Peterborough. Can you offer any advice to Josh to try and get into the professional game as a coach? You know, where do you even start? Oh, it's tough. You know, go get your badges. Your work ethics are really important. You're probably going to have to have two jobs a day as well as coaching. But you're not going to earn any money from coaching for a while. Try and get into a football league club in a free volunteer capacity. Just to start with, just to get in the door. We've had physios come in as interns and people used to slate me because we didn't pay our interns. Now. Mm-hmm. I had some young girl 
you know, from I think it was Extinction Rebellion or whatever gone after me on Twitter as some middle-aged old man who was taking advantage of young people. And one of our ex-interns popped up on Twitter and went, well, actually, I'm the head sports scientist at Bath Rugby Club, and right. I now earn six figures a year. And mm -hmm. I used to massage the players' legs for like 10 pounds or whatever a week, you know, yeah. lunch money. But it was to get that um, qualification on your record, to get something on your CV. And we help a lot of people out like that. We've got coaches coming in. We help them from all countries and whatever else. And, you know, get in. Whatever job is offered, take the job. I don't care if you're scrubbing toilets and coaching. You know, at the end of the day, when I started in real estate, my job when I was 19 working in a real estate company was, was to clean the windows that the pictures went in mm -hmm. and be the dog's body, run around gopher. And all I did while I was there, I was there for a year, was soak up knowledge and information and learn. And if you can get that, that's invaluable. You know, I used to work at nighttime in a club and then go to work during the day for mm -hmm. free. And I always say this to people who have a go at me about interning. I've done all this myself. I've worked for free. I've done night jobs. I've done whatever it takes. So if you're a young coach and I respect it and love that, study the game, go to as many matches as you can, watch as many international games as you can, learn about all aspects of it, do your badges, read books, you know, educate yourself, have a personality, um, go to clubs, send in CVs, tell them you'll work for a month, you want to come in and learn and you're happy to go away pre-season and you're going to get your lift bags and you're going to do whatever you need to do. That's the attitude needed to get to the top. Jose Mourinho was a fucking translator. He was, mm -hmm. he was Bobby Robson's gopher. Yeah. More than a translator, we probably made him more coffees than Starbucks did, and now he earns twenty million a year. Yeah, imagine how much knowledge he soaked up while he was doing that. Correct. So you will get your chance. All right, uh, great advice for Josh. Um, so the last question, and this is the question that uh, I was going to pose to you, which is, uh, you know, my beloved Bradford, we're we're on some pretty tough times at the moment. Uh, we are, we're out of the cup as well. We could be in the bottom two of League Two by this time next week, which, I'm, I mean, I'm holding my, hanging my hat on the fact that there's worse teams in League Two than Bradford. But, you know, there's a lot of teams have not deserved to get relegated based on the quality sure. of their players that still got relegated. Sure. Um, we have a, a new 29-year-old CEO um, who actually just gave a, a year contract extension to our manager last week, um, okay. which was, um, I was for it, but I can understand why people wouldn't be for it. You know, you came into Peterborough as a 29-year-old, same age as, uh, as our new CEO. What advice would you give to somebody in that situation? He's on a hiding to nothing. Um, I respect he's taken the job. I believe he's the press officer. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's risen yeah. through Communications the ranks. and commercial director. Yeah. Fair enough. So he's risen through the ranks. It's a hiding to nothing because the fan base is so unhappy. Because there's probably a discourse between ownership and fan base. Mm -hmm. Because the squad's not one of the best you've had in years. The expectations are low. It's really, really difficult. Um, for me, Bradford needs a reset. It needs a new owner. It needs probably new management. It needs new players. And I'm having to go Stuart McCall. I'm, I'm, you know, looking from the outside, it, it needs a reset. Sometimes yeah. football clubs need, you know, this is a sleeping giant. If I was buying a football club tomorrow and I was, you know, back in or I was 29 again, I would have I would have walked to Bradford to buy that football club mm -hmm. in League Two, and I know Peterborough fans are like, oh, Jesus, but with all due respect, that fan base, the size of it, you know, the history, um, it's a giant. The regional, the location, um, there's so much there on the bone. There's so much meat on the bone at that football mm -hmm. club. So I don't know if the owner wants to sell. Um, he needs to get the price out there because someone could buy that club. If you got Hollywood royalty buying non-league football clubs, fuck me. For a few million more, they could buy a club like Bradford. 
I mean, you, you, you know, this is a club that is steeped in history and iconic status. I mean, you know, Christ almighty, what I'd do with a football club like Bradford, I would give mm -hmm. up football if I didn't have them top 10 of the championship inside of four years. Do you know what I mean? Because, of the, you know, the way I recruit, crikey almighty, you would have players, never mind what we do for players, they would fall over themselves to sign for Bradford. That's on the mm -hmm. You know, because yeah. it's, a, it's a big club. Um, and probably what they need is if they don't get a wealthy owner or a new owner, they need to do maybe what Portsmouth did before the Eisners came in, where maybe the fan base can get involved and raise some money and join up with some wealthy people, like an, an AFC Wimbledon -like Port Portsmouth type thing, and have a bit of fan and private owners involved. And it needs the fans to look after it for a couple of years just to get it on its feet, get it back to League One, and then sell it to a big whale. So, yeah. you, you know, that's a, maybe I'm doing the disservice to the current owner. Maybe he's more ambitious than I think. I, I, I don't know enough about it. Uh, I, I wish the 29-year-old all the success in the world. He's on a hiding to nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a lonely place. It's tough. You know, he's probably like he's going to be firefighting from day one. Mm -hmm. um, what a baptism of fire. But you know what? He was brave enough to say yes. So now he's got to be brave enough to do the job in front of Yeah. And, you know, I'm a really big believer that age means nothing you know it's about experience it's about uh you know ambition vision ability of course to pull people together that's one of the things that really irks me is when people uh look at somebody's age and say because of that age they don't have the ability age is a number my friend and um i i fought with this all my life when i was younger and i was building my business and i was doing deals that most 50 year old men weren't doing when i was 25 and mm. i'd walk into rooms and i have a presence so i could get away with it and people knew i was the hefe and the boss yeah. but you know at the start it took me a while to get, get that respect and get that swagger and then when i bought a football club at 29 i had to go in there with like big balls to show people i'm not some young rich kid you know what mm -hmm. i mean or like a daddy's boy who's buying yeah. a club you know or got my inheritance or whatever else this is me this is who i am i'm an individual so it's tough you know and, and i wish him well and look if he wants to have a chat with me i'm opening it for anyone yeah. who works at football clubs if they want to ring me anytime i've been in the game 15 years i'll give them half an hour of my time you know what yeah. I mean? On the phone, in chat, to help. Well, we're all um, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that you know we're able to start pulling in the right direction. I think what you said about fans is really important because there's been such a disconnect between clubs and ownership. And you know, traditionally for a club like us, we've always been really, really close. A lot of it based on our history and you know what happened with the fire great, and all great those fan things. Base. Great fan base. And and the 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 not being in, in the ground is making it worse because. You know, people getting disconnected, whereas before they would still go and they because they want to see their mates and it's still about going on a Saturday. They'll be back. Yeah, they will be back if we start turning around. Um, Let me tell you right now, I've been to Bradford when they were in shitty moments and there were 17,000 people there on a Saturday. Trust me. Yeah, I know you're saying, when, you know, when we turn it around, but I've seen Bradford like fill up, not fill the place, but have crowds that I dreamed of when they were like 10th or 12th mm -hmm. in the league. So I've got no concerns about the fan base of Bradford. And you know what they say about football? Owners come and go. It's the same at Peterborough. You know, yeah. owners come and go. Fans are forever. And, you know, you're always going to have your loyal fan base. You know, I know Bradford have 15, 17,000 fans that buy season tickets every year. I know Posh, we've got four or 5,000 hardcore every year. They will turn out. They will be there. You know, if I go in an alleyway, and I use this analogy a lot, uh, I say it about my staff and people with me. If I go in an alleyway and there's 20 big guys, you know, let's call them 20 Mike Tysons waiting for me in the alleyway. Mm -hmm. I love to look over my shoulder and see who the people that matter are still there with me and the ones yeah. who fucking scarpered. And yeah. I'll tell you right now, there are certain fan bases. We've got a hardcore fan base who'd be there and Bradford have a fan base mm -hmm. that will be there. They might snipe and moan and fucking whatever else, but they'll be there. And you're yeah. one of them. They'll be yeah. there. <laughs>
Well, hopefully by this time next week, we've won our two games and, um, you know, we're on our way up and the doom and gloom has lifted a little bit. We'll see. It's what you need. Wins change everything. Yeah. And that's what I said. You know, we, we, we had a horror show at the weekend, but by Saturday night, if we do the business this week and our players put the work in, we're top of the league, you'd like mm-hmm. to think. So, you know, that that's how things can turn around. So we can't go and kick the football. Our players have to go out and do it for us. So, you know, that's what they're paid to do. So Bradford have got those players. We've got those players. Go and do yeah. your jobs and do them well. Yeah. Do them to the best of your ability. All right. Well, on that note, we'll wrap it up for today. Brilliant. Um, thank you again for joining me. It's been uh, um, another great conversation. We're going to be back. I think we're back next week. What's your travel like? Yours? I travel to the UK on Sunday, so I'm good to go on Monday and, okay. and, and do our recording. So you want to do Monday or Tuesday, whichever day yeah. suits you, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. So um, all right. yeah, my, my kids are all doing virtual schooling here in Dubai. It's, I think it's um, in America time. It's like half eight, half nine in the morning. So they're like doing yeah. their school from five in the afternoon to like half ten at night here. So uh, I've got them all set up upstairs. They've got desks mm-hmm. in each of the rooms. You know what I mean? So they weren't happy when I told them week two of the holiday <laughs> was school again. But listen, to the people listening, because uh, I know you're all at home. Thank you for the support. Uh, hopefully you're all out of lockdown next week and the will of the people will show and all of this shit will be behind us. And uh, again, special mention to the special Sir Barry Fry on recovering yeah. from coronavirus. So again, showing those of you who are out there maybe worried and hiding behind the couch that for a 73-year-old man who's had two heart attacks, he's fought it off and he's come through. Yeah. And um, you know, understanding what we're dealing with and the science and everything else shows you there's a way forward. All right. Well, for everybody uh, who's listening, please continue to send those questions in. You can do that just by um, going to our contact form, which is hardtruthfootball.com slash contact. Uh, you can fill that in on the website or email contact at hardtruthfootball.com. Till next week, have a, a wonderful few days and we'll speak to everybody again soon. Take care, everyone.